This podcast is for mature audiences only. The topics and views discussed are opinions based on personal experience and may change. Some names have been changed or otherwise altered to protect privacy. We do not own or otherwise possess any rights to any of the music played or mentioned during recordings. Welcome back, guys. Taboo Tuesday. If this is the first time you're joining us, you get to have a taste of our special guest, Mr. Johnny B. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you for helping us out. Jitney was having some uh, technical difficulties. That seems to be the pattern here for mm -hmm. us. Um, but I'm really glad that I got to bring you in for this one. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm glad as well. Well, um, I am currently talking to you from my living room in Meadville, Pennsylvania. Uh, born and raised Crawford County, Northwestern Pennsylvania area. Um, let's see, there's so much to so much to add here, but I will keep it brief. Um, so I am a recovering uh, addict. I have uh, approaching eight years clean and sober. Um, I am also recovering from complex childhood trauma, uh, sexual, emotional, some physical, mostly verbal. I'm very thankful to have discovered that the verbal abuse uh, can be just as detrimental. So I, that was really important to be validated in that fashion. Um, I am a drummer and a metalcore band. Uh, we go by the name Tear. I think it's, I'm still confused about this. It's either Tear or Tear. Tear from Grace. Um, and we just started getting this guy on bass. His name is Matt, acclimated to our set list, which consists of 12 songs. Um, it's been about a nine-month endeavor with just the guitarist and I. And it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been a hair-pulling process just because it's a, it's a different subgenre of metal that I'm not quite accustomed to playing. But anyways, um, there's that. And I am a rhythm band conductor slash facilitator at a local nursing home by the name of Juniper Village. I give private drum lessons. I have one existing student and I am an advisor to the Board of Mental Health for Human Services in Crawford County. I clarify myself as an empath. Um, I'm very much dominantly an introvert. Uh, I'm very hypervigilant. I do not do well uh, nine out of 10 situations in you know, very uh, public situations. It's part of the reason why I always try to go grocery shopping after 7.30 at night. I'm sure you can relate to that. Um, I can actually, because I have an issue with going to the gym during busy hours. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I, I find myself, like today, uh, I was going to go, today is Saturday, um, I was going to go and do the yoga class, the Saturday yoga class. And um, it was too full for me last time. And it was smaller than what it normally is. And the weather was really good today. So I did not want to risk it being another 60 person 
class like it was the week before the one I went oh. to. I could oh, hell no. people in a studio doing yoga. There was like 30 or 40 of us in the last one I went to and I couldn't I couldn't concentrate. Like, how do you do yoga with 30, 40 people? It's supposed to be a relaxing thing, and it is not relaxing to be in a room with 40 other people. Yeah, I'm sure it depends on the acoustics of the room, but that's a lot of uh, auditory input alone, take into account well, the visual think... input. <laughs> well, I that? mean, like, there's there's not a lot of audio because nobody really talks. It's yoga. There's sure. only one person speaking. Yeah, it's just, there's, yeah. yeah, there's, it's more of a claustrophobic. It's not a very big room. It's just a basic, Oh yeah. it's, it's just a basic gym studio. Like it's just a little room where they like do Zumba and all the classes and stuff. And I just, I can't, <laughs> I can't be in that small room with that many people. Zumba is a lot louder. Is it not? Like that's with music and I don't know. Zumba. I've, Zumba's a dance. It's a it's an aerobic. Yeah. Okay. But but yoga they play music, but it's it's softer. Yeah. And the whole idea is to bring balance and center yourself. It's the <laughs> yoga practice in the class is the same as yoga practice anywhere else. But I have a very difficult time relaxing doing yoga with a class. So I do yoga with a class. Um specifically for the physical benefits it's got nothing to do and to test myself like i i what do they call that exposure therapy um, yes i think i, I believe so i don't i don't do it for relaxation i do it to test myself and push myself but uh, i couldn't do it today i i wasn't feeling it so i'm gonna go to the gym later and uh, do some solo stuff while everybody else is out partying and drinking. Yeah. That's a good plan. You know, I, as we've talked before, it's been a while, obviously, but, um, you know, I know in years past, if I were in your exact shoes uh, today, just changing my mind, like, you know, a lot of, so when I talk about uh, complex childhood trauma, like, I, you know, specifically um, endure uh, the throes of complex post-traumatic stress disorder. And one of the most definitive symptoms of that condition is uh, really not feel, feeling entitled to preferences. And like one thing I've struggled with is changing my mind about things. And also that in conjunction with flight, which as the author Pete Walker also refers to it as just like workaholism or like constant busyness, you know, um, that I'm really glad I personally took the last year off from working out because I didn't, you know, my intuition was telling me about like 13 months ago, give or take that I needed time away from that cycle because like a lot of what I deal with OCD wise and flight wise, CPTSD wise was like activated to like the 10th degree, uh, which is an understatement when I was there. And plus, you know what you're talking about, you know, just smaller room, 40, somewhat, sometimes 60 people. Yeah, that's I totally understand that. And yeah, I don't anyway, know. I don't I do very well in front of a crowd. I can be on stage like nobody's business, but yeah. I have a very difficult time being in a crowd <laughs> absolutely yeah i understand well i'm glad you know you honored 
your internal need and to, you know, just come back later. And that's, that's so important because like a lot of people I've met really struggle with that kind of thing. And that's why I'm uh, really, oh, I do. I'm one of the people who struggles with that sort of thing. This is a new practice for me. The whole self-care, self-love, self-validation, self-acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. This is all new for me. I'm, it's something that I've been trying to really work into my practice um, for the last, I'm going to say probably year and a half, coming up on two years. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, is, this is new for me. I'm not going to say at all that I'm used to it. Uh, I'm used to putting everything and everyone else before my own basic needs and throwing myself into a downward spiral, which, uh, which actually kind of brings us to topic. Yes, Um, totally. (laughs) I feel like I'm not the only one. I know that, um, when I was speaking with Jitney previously, something that we both struggle with is uh, borderline personality disorder. And with our BPD, we have a lot of toxic perceptions and habits and impulses that have a tendency to put a lot of strain on relationships. And I was talking to you previously and, um, I feel like you've made mention of of breaking those types of cycles or acknowledging those types of behaviors. Uh, and I thought maybe you could give us a little insight on your experiences with it. Sure. It would be a pleasure. I appreciate you initiating the subject. Um, so, yeah, I'm in the process of, you know, I certainly by any means have not really broken that cycle. I mean, I, you know, since we're being very transparent here and, you know, I appreciate, you know, you being honest about your own individual struggles uh, that you just kind of elaborated on a few minutes ago. But so on this subject, and I love the name relationships, by the way. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty. That one's actually a jitney. Uh, you know what? I can see that. As well as I know him, I for some that seems like his. Uh... That's a jitney. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, because I was um, I was trying to come up with one for uh, for Valentine's Day, and what I did was I ended up calling it the VD edition, mm-hmm. or VD something is what I kept saying because Valentine's Day, right? It just seemed appropriate. And he went, relationships. And I went, oh, relationships, the VD edition. And we both fell in love with it. So we have decided that relationships is going to be a title series complete with merchandise. With merchandise. With merchandise. We are currently working working on the the, um, concepts and designs and stuff for not only uh, title series merchandise, but also for um the podcast in general and for ourselves you're not padding that shit dude (laughs) oh we're going to uh that's part of the reason it hasn't come out yet some of the designs are going to have to be trademarked um but i'm pretty pretty excited but uh again uh relationships and Mm -hmm. toxic behaviors yeah jenny's a pretty uh 
creative feller, as I'm sure you know as well. So I think there will be oh, yeah. no shortage of ideas floating around. Um, so in my personal experience over the last, say it's February 2019, uh, right around the turn of the new year last year, 2018, I met my twin flame uh, and she is on the West Coast like yourself. And um, me being on the East Coast, so it was like, it was a first in a lot of ways. Like, I never knew what a twin flame was. I mean, it's, you know, kind of like another word for, uh, what's that, uh, soul, soul partner. I can't, I may not have the terminology correct. But anyways, she, soulmate, soulmate there you go. I knew it was there on <laughs> the tip of my tongue. So I get this, you know, I joined this group on Facebook called The Modern Empath. And there's like hundreds of thousands of members on this freaking page and it's private i mean you have to most private groups i notice you only have to answer like three questions like i if i ever create my own that's private to kind of protect the 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 you know the safety of a lot of the members in there because i know how this shit works like you know when it comes to the word like trigger you know for instance but, oh yes like there's only sometimes i think it requires more than three questions like i mean i pride myself on being specific and very clear about things so but anyways you know, I, I was accepted into this group and, you know, I, I interacted on a few posts and posted a few things myself and I get this friend request from her. Um, I'll keep her name anonymous, but, uh, you know, I get this friend request from what turned out to be, you know, my twin flame. I accepted it, but, you know, the profile picture was of an angel of sorts, like a really detailed uh, graphic design and so of course i was leery at first you know i was like is this even a real person i was like i don't know what the fuck's going on here so uh, i accepted it and we talked for on messenger uh primarily for a couple of days and you know she was in the middle of writing a book and you know i have a rough draft of a memoir written myself that i've thought about burning a couple of times and uh <laughs> Trust me, i understand that sentiment oh i know i know you do um, <laughs> By the way, just so your listeners know, like they get, oh, I wanted to tell you like, okay, here's a tangent for you. So this okay. is what I forget because, so I renewed my Amazon information. And I just purchased something because I don't know if you remember that I could not write a review for your novel because I just anything on Amazon for at least 90 days, if not more. So anyways, I can make it official now. Give my official Johnny B uh, Amazon review about uh, uh madman but anyways yes to all of raven's listeners uh excellent writer excellent uh excellent story um but anyway so i don't know oh uh, so um yeah i uh my twin flame she is not published but you know she's very talented writer she she just you know i think it was like the first or second day we were talking she sent me a uh like a about a half a chapter's worth maybe a quarter a chapter's worth of book she was working on i read it i was really intrigued especially since i love the self-help genre in general when it comes to literature and uh we you know it was quite apparent really quickly that we had a lot in common so fast forward you know about a week later we're talking on skype for the first time and there was you know a physical attraction that already amplified the intrigue that both her and i felt just from conversation alone and um you know we we're pretty honest and upfront. I think she's the one that first initiated it. You know, she uh, was 
she believed she was catching feelings is one way to put it. And, you know, I, I reciprocated that, you know, I, I think we fell for each other really quick, but, um, you know, she herself is, you know, has a background of immense abuse. And, you know, one thing I've learned as I'm sure you would uh, concur about Raven is when it comes to like abuse that like comparing and try to like, you know, comparing one person's trauma to the next and, you know, and portraying it in a manner in which like mine exceeds yours or hers or anybody's like competitive. I, I don't, I don't like when people make it a competition. I don't either. It really perpetuates a lot of this shit. That's really, you know, uh, ailing a lot of people, but anyways, it uh, does. It, it, it definitely just reinforces stigmas and that's kind of the, the point of the podcast. That's really kind of the point of the, um, the, the store that Jitney and I are going to be opening. We're going to be doing an online store. Um, but that's that's something that we're really going to be aiming to fight against is stigmas because you can't compare two completely different situations or two similar situations. I apologize. I Two similar situations with two completely different people. Like your perception of a situation is completely different than my perception of a situation and it's it's really difficult for a lot of people to understand that and i feel like without people like us standing up and saying you know what like this is what i went through and you're valid with what you went through also totally absolutely that's very vital it's absolutely fucking imperative and you know just based upon what you'd said i've just noticed this pattern that's like, it's basically, you know, it's like this gasoline doused flame type process that occurs so instantaneously. I've noticed, especially on social media, when somebody disagrees with somebody else's viewpoint, it's fucking on, dude. Like I can hear the goddamn, you know, boxing bell right outside the ring. And this is a metaphor, obviously, but it's like really true, you know, and it, I'm not being judgmental, but when I observe this, you know. Um, it's, it's really kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, a lot of people are in pain, you know, and I'm not justifying how a lot of people take that pain out on, other, on others, obviously. But anyways, um, I'm enjoying the conversation, but I don't want to get off too off track. So I'll elaborate a little bit more about my experience on the topic. So um, I didn't interrupt you, did I? Did you want to say something else? No, no, no. Keep going. Keep going. All right. okay. <laughs> Thank you. So. My twin flame and I, you know, it was apparent that there was an emotional attraction, definitely the strength of that relationship I've had with her, you know, um, for the last 13 months, basically has, uh, really been built upon a lot of emotional mirroring. Um, you know, like I love the name of your, uh, podcast station, you know, uh, taboo Tuesday, because nothing's really taboo in this relationship I've had off and on with this woman. And, um, you know, we've been so freaking vulnerable with each other. I remember when I first, well, yeah, when she, she flew over here all the way from the West coast, from Arizona to Pennsylvania in July of last year and was here for about a week. And, you know, she really helped me to be quite honest, work through a lot of my sexual trauma, you know, like and to be even further more honest is, um, you know, a lot of like this internal need that I need to perform a certain way. And she really, well, she also is a level three Reiki practitioner. And, um, 
So, and she, you know, she's also a therapist. So like I'm having like this intense amount of dissociation based upon a lot of my sexual trauma. And, you know, she really helped me through it and held space is kind of like what her and I refer to it as basically. And I just wept like so uncontrollably, like I was kind of repressed in it. Um, how I've been basically conditioned to, but you know, I was basically like in the fetal position facing the wall and she was right behind me and she was really focusing a lot of her energy on, I believe it was my uh, reach. No, not my, my heart chakra. Cause I told her, you know, she had known for months before that, that a lot of what I feel, everything in life, good, bad, and indifferent is all like in the solar plexus area, heart chakra area. So she really, you know, helped me purge, uh, so to speak, a lot of repressed and non-processed uh, sexual trauma. That's always really good. That's actually, uh, Ricky's been helping me subconsciously. I don't think he's been doing it on purpose. I don't think he realizes what he's doing. But, sure. Um, he's been helping me with uh, connecting more because of my sexual trauma. Disconnection was kind of always just a natural thing for me. I've mentioned this in other episodes Um I'm pretty sure that Jitney and I talked about it last episode a little bit, uh, but disconnection during physical intimacy has always been my natural response. And it, it always kind of made me feel defeated because that's not what I wanted. I mean, like I've had connected sex and it was fantastic. Oh my God, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's fucking amazing. Okay. <laughs> Not going to lie. Some of the best sex I have ever had, I have had recently. Uh, and it was not even just some of the best sex I've had physically. It was some of the best sex I've had emotionally speaking. Um, Great. Great. And <laughs> he really, he really does. He's been, he's been helping me, I guess, kind of um, neutralize some of the uh, toxic aspects of my I'm gonna say perspective because uh I mean like some of the it, it's really hard for me to say without sounding like an asshole so I just I'm gonna say it here because <laughs> he listens uh as different as he is from every single person that I have ever met in my entire life everything he said to me I've heard before mm -hmm. and that for me is where I have to kind of like pump the brakes and be like holy shit female you're starting to compare and I think that's part of that I think that's one of my toxic impulses is I I kind of compare because it's I've, I've heard this before so it's going to be the same I've seen that before so it's going to be the same mm -hmm. I have a really difficult time sometimes, I guess, um, separating would be a good way to. The two, yeah, uh, just doing that doesn't mean that it's going to be a repeat of prior experiences. Right, right, right. Especially when it comes to the um, discretion. Like, I'm all for discretion, but sometimes discretion starts to feel like secrets. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really, really hard for me to differentiate on his end sometimes, not always, but sometimes. And uh, communication is key. 
and he i'm i'm bad at oversharing there's another one of my my toxic notions (laughs) um so i feel like i'm always oversharing but he's really good about being like i don't want to hear this if it's if it's too much or if it's a why are you telling me this? Like, is there a point? Like, do I have to know this about you? And like, he's kind of helping me rein in the oversharing, but I always feel like I'm oversharing when I'm not. So like the other night I was having an emotional breakdown. It was not severe by any means in comparison to um, any of the psychotic breaks I've ever had, but it was an emotional um lack of equilibrium and i was talking to him and i don't do vulnerable so when i start to feel like my world is crumbling i don't sit down and start crying when i'm around other people i turn into a beast because flight doesn't exist fight is my first reaction so like i start like i want to break shit because I'm broken so I want everything else in my life to be broken too self-destruction and he was like I'm not gonna fight with you I was like you know what I'm not trying to fight with you I tried explaining this to you so I'm just gonna go and he was like I don't want you to be mad at me I was like I'm not mad at you I just need to get off the phone I need to go make at that time absolutely it was I just I have to And I got off the phone with him and I texted it all out (laughs) and I sent it to him. And I was like, I am so sorry if this is too much information. I was like, I'm sorry. I just keep talking. He was like, no, actually, I kind of like it because it reminds me that it's not me that's causing you to feel this way. And I'm like, "Okay, good, because it's not like, yes, you have your own branch and it has all of its own leaves and it has fruit but there are a lot of dead suckers left on this tree and they aren't very friendly. And this is one of them. I really appreciate you sharing all that. All right. I think that'll be a good spot to go ahead and take a break to hear something from our sponsors. So as I was saying, uh, projecting, there's my next, that's my next bullet point for my toxic notions. I do that. It's like a Rick and Totally. You know, I appreciate you, uh, you know, explain him. And, you know, I, well, before I forget, I want to ask a question. So you had mentioned that Ricky actually, um, which is something that I commend, I think is very commendable in a relationship because when you talk about communication and when you're talking about when you have a tendency to, overshare a little bit and he actually impedes not disrespectfully but basically you know inquires basically like is this something i really need to know about now i think that is commendable but at the same time how does that make you feel and i'm not slinging any criticism but i ask that because if i were in your shoes that could be that kind of transference like that dynamic would very easily trigger me and i would be like you know i would because my father you know my father used to do that to me all the time like i spoke I've spoken in a tangential fashion since I was like a five or six year old kid. Like my father would ask me a very specific question that only required sometimes usually a yes or no answer, but give him like 16 fucking paragraphs and he would flip out on me. He'd be, well, I'm not, I'm sure Ricky doesn't flip out on you at all. 
you know, that's different. It depends on um, she communicates it, obviously, but go ahead. I, I feel like I, it, I'd have to say probably 10 years ago, it probably would have torn me to shreds. Totally. Uh, but I, you know, my brother, Jason, <laughs> I've had him for the last 30 years. So uh, whenever I'm really struggling with something, uh, I can just call him and he's always kind of been the one to help me see things. And I say, he just says, do I need to know this? He doesn't actually stop me and say, do I need to know this per se? Uh, he's actually, he reacts to my mania and my depressive and my um, mood swings. Um, how do I want to say this? He, he responds to them in such a way that it reminds me a lot of my brother. Hmm. So it it cushions the blow, Good. I guess. Uh, there are other people who could say the exact same thing, and I'd want to punch them in the face instantly. <laughs> yeah, I but, totally I understand. Know, it's a comfort, I guess. Well, it's of it's a and a vital comfort, I'd say, because I mean it's, I mean it's basically you know the more simply put, it sounds like he's basically helping you kind of grow to an extent, you know, um, because I know personally when I, if we're, you know, refer to it as oversharing again, or I just even, you know, like classic tried and true verbal diarrhea, like I've been accused of that. And, you know, I, if I'm doing that, you know, um, a lot of it's out of extreme anxiety and social settings. And it's just, you know, I mean, I was told I was stupid a lot as a kid and I really believe that well into adulthood. So, how one way I've discovered for myself that I've tried to quote unquote compensate for that is by, you know, trying to sound like some intellectual fucking guru where nine out of 10 times it would fucking bite me in the ass. And somebody would, you know, was obviously perturbed by, you know, me being way too transparent or personal or whatever like that. But right. And see, for me, it was kind of the opposite. I was always told that I was reading too much and I needed to get out more and you don't need to be so smart all the time. And it was either, it was either you're not applying yourself or you're, you're just putting too much in or you're putting too much stock into what you're reading. And that's something that my dad even said to me, like within the last three, four years, he looked at me, he went, you read too goddamn much. And I looked him square in the eyes and went, there's something to do. Let's encourage our children to be stupid. Totally. Yeah. That's actually a fucking hell of a rebuttal. Like he was like, he just looked at me. I was like, seriously, aren't your children supposed to be smarter and better than you were? And he went, well, that's our hope. And I went, so when your daughter's smarter and better than you were at her age, you're going to condemn her for it. Good, good rebuttal. Seriously, I've gotten really good at it. Like I, I, I guess part of my problem, like I said, was the projecting. So I, I've always had more of an explosive Mm -hmm personality rather than an implosive i didn't keep shit to myself however it came out came out and it didn't matter eloquence was nowhere on my radar uh i'm working on that that's making me think of oh i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you 
No, it was just, I was just saying kind of. I'm working on it. It's, yeah. it's getting there. Well, kind of. That reminds me of that scene in The League of Their Own. Have you seen that movie with Gina Davis? Yes. Yeah, they... There's no crying in baseball. That and um, the scene I'm thinking about specifically is where they go to basically like charm school. Like they're having to balance like huge oh. textbooks. On their fucking... <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, um, slurp. Uh, that's it. Just made me think of that movie. I love that movie, actually. Yeah, growing up when I was watching that movie, um, I always felt more like Darla. Darla is played by who? I don't remember. She's the one who's not real pretty. Oh, Marla, she Marla. Marla, 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 not Darla, Marla. She was I mixed up names the the most time. talented player on the team, but she, yeah. Well, it, it, but ugly as shit. <laughs> not so. Oh yeah, I'm not comparison, but not so yeah. feminine. Yeah. Um, I I usually always think about the scene in a comical sense. Strictly is when you know I think it's like the first game of the first season, and Tom Hanks comes out like wasted, and like they introduce him in the ballpark, but he's muttering himself like, yeah, "Kiss my ass, fuck you." I don't know. I just think. Yeah. <laughs> he plays it drunk really well. Um. So, you know, I haven't seen him play something that I didn't like it. Like, he's he's just a really good actor in general. Tom Hanks is a very under um, underrated. So in some capacities, I mean, I mean, he definitely I think he still has the world. Well, the, the record for the most Oscars for lead roles. I think there's six of them he's achieved. But I mean, when it comes to I don't know, how do I want to put this? Um I don't know. Well, I've even seen interviews where he actually is, he conducts himself very humble. Like he doesn't really refer to himself as like a wordsmith. That's not the word I think he's used to describe himself in comparison to like other actors he's looked up to. But um, I mean, but some of my favorite movies he is in like Forrest Gump or Philadelphia. But that's how I feel about it too. I'm just saying like in general, like when you ask somebody who their favorite actor is, Tom Hanks is rarely at the top of their list. They don't. He, he's not really thought of, and it breaks my heart. It really does. I think a lot personally. My belief is a lot of that is because he's so popular and he's in so many like very successful films that it, it's kind of like uh, it's not cool to. I don't know. That's that's what I've learned from a lot of people I've met, and like actually a twelve step fellowship. I've attended off and on for years. They basically have the same like terminally hip or fatally cool. <laughs> and it, 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 there's some, there's a lot of accuracy to that. And a lot of people I met. So I think that may play a role in some of that, but I mean, fuck. I mean, I can, I can see that, that hipster mentality with the, uh, I, I was a fan of this before it was cool. <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to actually grieve in active addiction. Like I never, you know, have had the opportunity to like introduce somebody to this band for the first time or some bullshit like that. But I mean, I was, I was in my own world. I was fucking terrified of everyone, everything. I was just, yeah. Anyways, but um, I'm really enjoying this by the way. I, I'm glad we uh, are doing this. And so, but uh, I will share a little bit more of my experience with this uh, twin flame of mine. Um, okay. okay, great. Um, so we are currently not uh, trying to make anything work exclusively. Like we're still very close. We're just friends basically, but you know, um, 
there's there's still a lot of stuff to work through so when it comes to like the toxic perceptions for instance like in a relationship now i wouldn't refer to her like her and mine's dynamic as shit whatsoever like it's actually very beautiful in like pretty much every way but there still has been a lot of fucking pain and which is the case for like most relationships basically to be completely honest i mean but uh mine so the trouble i've run into is the fawning cycle now again like p walker it's basically another word for codependent codependency so like one thing that I think is different between you and I, for instance, Raven, is um, I actually cower very easily because like the adrenaline's running through my fucking system to like just debilitating degrees. And, you know, I just I either I'm basically like a flight fawn slash freeze hybrid or whatever. <laughs> but so I, I'm sorry. I just love how you just no, I right. love the, Thank you. the mix. That was beautiful. Well, a lot of that's primarily borrowed again from Pete Walker, but he usually didn't elaborate in his book, uh, CPTSD from Surviving to Thriving, as he doesn't really, I think, elaborate about a third additional um, trauma response. Um, anyways, but uh, I think all of us have, you know, we um, have some manifestations of each one in the 4F chart. But um, so to backtrack in my childhood. So my mother was an addict. She overdosed when I was 14. I'm actually living about a half mile away from the apartment that she actually died in. Like sometimes I still, when I process that, it feels weird. You know, I don't know how, I mean, I can, weird is, I can see why. Oh, totally. That's a, that's definitely an understatement. Yeah. Weird is. It's, I think there's still more to process and some people would probably disagree with that and tell me to move on, but that's not how it works in my estimation. You know, I mean, it's not how it works with mental illness in general. Oh, fuck no. So I had to take care of her basically long story short. I mean, she was clean. Um, she, you know, basically off all narcotics, alcohol, you name it. Um, probably up until the time I was about six years old. I mean, she always, I remember she told me when, you know, I was in the womb that she refused to use and I believe her, you know, I mean, even if she smoked a few fucking cigarettes or did something else, like I would never hold it against her. I mean, I'm fucking here now. I'm doing better than I ever have, but it's taken a lot of work anyways, you know, um, but, uh, you know, from the time I was six until she died when I was 14, the summer of 2000, uh, June of 2000 to be more specific, she, so about eight, almost nine year period, you know, uh, we moved about a dozen and a half times, uh, five different elementary schools, uh, a lot of different relationships she was in and out of. Uh, she, we wrecked probably about seven or eight different cars, most of which I was in when we wrecked them. Um, I had to take care of her a lot. So what I've learned about caregiving trauma is it really conditions the child to just do everything basically that the adult themselves should be doing. And, um, you know, her and my biological father, they split when I was four, they were never married. And, you know, my father's definitely a narcissistic type. Uh, him and I do have somewhat of a connection, you know, I've forgiven him in a lot of ways, but you know, it's taken several years of like extreme, like angering in concert is what Walker calls it. Like just basically like realizing actually what happened and feeling the anger for the first time and like taking it elsewhere as opposed to like taking it out of myself. By the way, when you mentioned like you destroy shit, like I fucking broken like six drum sets, like three laptops, 
just uh, I, I don't I just throw it out there just to add some intrigue to the conversation and like this is some real shit. No, I, I feel you like I, I've gotten mine more or less under control since I was in high school. Good. Well good. I feel like I was very fortunate in a couple of aspects when it came to my adolescence and coping with mental illness because I didn't have drugs to turn to. I had my brother to turn to. Didn't turn to drugs because nothing worked. Like medications didn't work. Tylenol stopped working. Vicodin didn't work for pain. So it sure as hell didn't do anything else. You know what I mean? Like it was, I found out at a very young age that I am very uh, resistant and tolerant medications. So I just never took them. So coping was really the only thing I could do. Like, learning how to it was either jail and a life of jail (laughs) which is the case for millions right or it was i was gonna get i I was gonna get control of myself to at least be able to not go to jail as i've gotten older i found that smoking pot really helps totally Uh, i didn't smoke weed in high school I didn't smoke weed until my first severe psychotic break back in 2009, 2009, 2010. Um, so I will, yeah, but I, I swear by it. If you have anger issues, smoke some heavy indica. Um, but outside of that, like I, it's gotten to the point where I will literally like, I will stop touching everything and grab the back of my head or I will like, I will grip a hold of my wrists or I will roll my shoulders back. And I think Ricky actually started noticing some of these, um, these signs, I guess, trigger points, whatever you want to call them. Uh, like he, he's starting to see my body language as a very telling thing which it is a lot of people don't realize that if you watch somebody's body language they are telling you everything you need to know with no words absolutely you can tell if sad happy angry violent what they are it's in their eyes it's in their body language you just have to watch and i i have picked stuff up and thrown it across the room and my laptop included i don't know how the fuck that thing still works is the screen cracked at least? No, no, but uh, there is a little bit of a an issue with the, the hinge, mm-hmm. but that's not from me throwing it. That's just because it fell. <laughs> sure. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, no, I live in a van and I was driving and I forgot to move it and I left it somewhere where it was not safe and it fell and it, it kind of cracked the hinge a little bit. But other than that, it's, you know, more or less in fairly decent shape. But yeah, I, I'm, I started uh, at a young age with my brother being like, just because you can kick his ass doesn't mean he needs to know that. You know what I mean? Like he kind of tossed in that big brother. Like you don't have to have bigger balls, but since you do, you don't have to show them. <laughs> Jason is a great, amazing man. I'm really, I just actually spoke to him 15 minutes yesterday afternoon. I was, oh, lucky. Yeah, I was at Tarot Bean. I've seen him there probably about three or four times now. Uh, back, back to Ricky just for a second. I'm really glad that he's observant of some of your uh, physiological uh, signs, you know? That's really important. I, I can't tell how awesome it is. Yeah. It's so weird. 
Well, to have a partner that's in tune with you in that capacity, because if we're talking relationships, like a relationship doesn't really thrive off that kind of emotional marrying or attunement. Like someone's not, they're not going to fucking acknowledge a lot, barely anything. And they're certainly, even if they are observant to like some of your physical signs that you're exhibiting, like they'll either, you know, I mean, like, you know, about a narcissistic type to talk about how it's an inconvenience or if they're, what's that? First husband. Yes. You've been married twice, correct? Yes. Are, are you in your van right now, by the way? I am. I am gorilla style. Right How are now. the babies, the pups? Um, well, uh, Ace is sleeping mm-hmm. on the front, on the passenger seat right now, looking super freaking cute. Sure. Um, Hendrix is in his room. Uh, I was actually yelling at him earlier. I'm surprised you didn't hear it. He was grumbling, and I didn't. Oh. <laughs> you guys may hear it in the audio if you do. Uh, my oldest was grumbling because somebody was outside. But yeah, uh, Ricky helped me figure out. Ricky's my techie, okay? Ricky's my techie. He is my uh, graphics editor. <laughs> he is my sanity finder. Mm-hmm. Uh, my muse, my encouragement, that man, like I, I, if it weren't for him, I legit would have like cut and run by now. Like all this shit would be, I'd be, I just, I would have said, fuck it. Like it's been, I'm not going to lie. I absolutely love doing this podcast. I'm super excited to get my brand going. Um, I love doing my art. I'm drawing today for the first time in months. Good. Uh, you can uh, send me a picture later on if you want of uh, what you're drawing. I, I actually did. I posted a, an in-progress one on um, both my photography art page and Instagram. my uh, well, my Instagram, my Twitter, my uh, yeah, uh, both my Facebook pages. Um, it was like I said, it was it was a in-progress shot. Uh, it's. I have no idea which episode it's going to be for, but it's it's an episode graphic uh, concept. And as soon as I finish it, I'm supposed to take a picture of it and send it to Ricky so he can revamp it and deck it out for me because he's freaking awesome. Yes. And that's just all he is. Well, I know how important this is too. So I'm glad that he's really been as much of a help as he has been. Um, speaking of Hendrix, like if he's grumbling, tell him to go play his guitar. Bad joke. Bad joke. Let's move on. Bad joke. Um, now, when you say room, you like you mean his kennel, right? Or like, okay, yeah, I don't know yeah, if there was like a separate headquarters that you attached to your van or something like that. Um, so, but no, I, I turned. I, I kind of built them. I mean, like I'm in the process of building still, but uh, I have it set up so they have their own personal space. That sucker is what an eighty-three. That's the year, the manufacturing year. Eighty-two. Two, before I was born. Uh, so I, uh, so we get back on topic. I, I, okay. If we're gonna be transparent, like there's, I think there's like a lingering thing that like perhaps my inner child told me. It's like, dude, you're not getting to the point. Like you're just like, just get to the point, and get it over with. I'm like, it's cool, dude. Like. Just, I know it's not a big deal at all. And I even said before, like we started that tangents are welcome there. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, is um, tangents kind of have to be welcome. Oh, totally. Cause they're going to happen. I'll, yeah. 
that's well not even just that it's an open discussion there is no script um it's just a couple key points that either we've personally experienced or we've been asked about um i did get some good feedback uh from a listener who is really excited for the new episode great um i'm glad to hear that i really do appreciate you taking the time to do this on such short notice though like i said Chitney was having some issues. Um, uh, apparently, they are starting to get work done, but um, I, I feel like Jitney and I have an, uh, have a relationship that's kind of going to work because we both understand the toxicity, and um, we're we're going to kind of, I guess, we both kind of have some uh, some similar issues, such as you know oversharing and projecting. I'm sure, um, but uh, if. Uh, did you want to continue with sure. uh, your twin? Well, I, I was going to say something about Jidney. Is he definitely when the, the man is manic, uh, just brace yourself, you know, to activate your listening skills because there's going to be a lot of info. And I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir. And that's obviously not a judgment. I mean, it's just basically somewhat of a humorous perception because they, I, don't, I don't know him very well. But, you know, I've seen him uh, in action at sometimes – dare I refer to it as his intellectual test. I mean, some people may scoff at that, but it's true though. I mean, like it's very, got a lot going on up there and that's not uh, a bad thing, at least in my eyes or my intention. I share. But um, I'm glad, you know. I completely totally. agree. But yes. I'm glad. Yes. I'm glad. His mania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good times. I mean, that's, I mean, I just actually speak at a coffee like this Sulawesi brew that I got from, local roaster at tarot bean where i actually saw your brother yesterday like this shit's so fucking strong um but uh anyway so yes why um so elaborate a little bit further where i left off so yes i have a lot of caregiving trauma um shared custody arrangement between biological parents taking care of my sick and addicted and withdrawing sometimes mother who passed out at the wheel of the car a lot of the time um just to share one aspect of that whole experience um, walking into her, like basically face planted in a bowl of soup or ice cream or cereal, some shit like that, having to take her to a bed, making sure she didn't catch the, you know, the bed on the bed frame or the sheets or the quilt on fire with a lit cigarette. You know, that was, that was my ordeal. That was my deal with her uh, for about, nine years and then you know going to my dad's uh he was in and out of a very very fucking relationship type scenario with another fight type alcoholic married her twice married once two years divorced for about a year remarried a second time well remarried for the first time and then we're together for about another two years separated got back together like maybe two other times after that so like that for a child's development in condition in conjunction with what he's dealing with, with his mom is fucking de- is fucking devastating. So, and she had a couple of older, uh, she had two sons that were both older than me. So, uh, yeah, my mom's with my half sister who was also older than me and my dad's with my stepmom and my two older stepbrothers. Like I was just like, basically like the runt kind of, you know, um, I was, and then combined with like every school I went to, um, I was bullied all the fucking time. I had buck teeth and a fucking bowl cut and I was chubby before I hit puberty. So, um, 
So, yeah, anyways, so this, you know, this whole scenario that I basically kind of given a very brief but satisfactory explanation of really conditioned me to learn, dude, be fucking people's doormats. You want to keep shit on an even fucking keel, be their fucking slave. You know, that was my internal world, and that's how I knew to exist. And when that became too painful, which was a very common occurrence, I fucking sought any goddamn substance I could. And it wasn't just you know, narcotics and alcohol. I used to drink fucking Windex with my Kool-Aid because I wanted to kill myself. You know, I tried overdosing on sleeping pills most a lot of the time, or several times. Um, I fucking used to hit myself in the head on a very consistent basis. Um, I've struggled with that behavior even well into recovery. I have no shame to admit that because I know why. Um, so how this has played out in the dynamic between my twin flame and I, you know, this learning how to anticipate people's needs and wants like all the fucking time and you know how hypervigilance works as i'm sure you know raven is so at least for myself like i'm watching people's vocal tone listening to their vocal tone watching their facial expressions and their body language like a goddamn hawk and with something that i see something that's manifested that instantaneously takes me back even if it's like 15 percent similar to what abuse I endured at school being bullied at my, taking care of my mom or my older half sister or my older stepbrothers or my dad or my stepmother. Um, if there's anything that was similar, it just, it, it shuts me down and how it shuts me down is I learned to, okay, what is it I can do? I have to be the fucking answer for everything. And, yeah, it has to be it has to be something that I can change or that I can fix or that I can do better or not do or it, it has to be something that I'm doing wrong. Yes, and it's my sole responsibility to correct it. No one else is not even right. not even the person themselves who my twin flame being, you know, an adult in her thirties, uh, like myself, um, you know, is totally capable of remedying herself. But, you know, I my inner child, like basically the relationship I'm still establishing with that part of my psyche, like my inner child. It's like, dude, like we, we really need to take care of ourselves first and foremost. They're not our responsibility, but I'm still like convincing him of that. Actually, I've had a lot of ex uh, success in recent months with reducing like the severity of OCD ticks I usually experience at night. Like when he tells me he wants to go look at the faucet in the kitchen for the eighth time, I'm like, dude, we don't have to do that. And when I do that, sometimes it takes seven or even 10 occasions where finally like I'm in the bathroom right before I go to bed. And like, I have that internal obsession to go check everything. I'm like, we already did so many times. Our senses are more intact, more than intact. We don't have fucking dementia, dude. We're not senile. Like, if something was on, we would have turned it off. So, but anyways, um, so in this, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm kind of still getting over a cold, so I may sound more nasal, more nasally than okay. usual. Thank you. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, my very overwhelmingly demanding, codependent uh, nature, anticipating all the wants and needs and desires and you name it across the board for any partner I've ever had in my adult life, um, including my twin flame, regardless of a lot of the healthier aspects, you know, this really made it really difficult to maintain any longevity in the relationship. But, you know, we kept trying. I mean, basically 
you know, we were definitely exclusive. We were a couple um, after talking to each other for a couple of weeks. That may sound fast, but, you know, it works like that sometimes. And I think that's something that shouldn't be shamed as much as it is sometimes. But I feel like there's too much going on with the shaming people for how they feel. Like my first husband or my second husband and I, we're dating for all of three months when we moved in together. Okay. Like we started dating and we start, well, I get, yeah, started dating in May, moved in in August, kicked him out in December. Uh, he moved back in as soon as we started dating in May again. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was an on again, off again roller coaster, very toxic relationship, but, uh, point of the matter is is that it felt right at the time and at the time it was I mean like at the time it it was one of those things where it wasn't toxic until it was I totally get that yes I totally get that I pre- do you, you you have like no contact with this individual correct or do you? oh no I still talk to my husband I, um yeah I I uh, there's obviously you know me as well not well enough to where like uh, hey you know that's that's definitely your preference. And if it's working for you, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's, there's people I've met that are really devoted and they're very good supports for a lot of the mental health movement. When you talk about like, you know, it's in your personal life, like you're really devoting more time and effort into your self care. Like it's a fucking movement right now, Lisa, like, especially on social media, like I'm definitely thankful that they're, even when it comes to like a basic meme, it's positive as shit. There's nothing wrong with that. And it's basically affirming people that read it. Hey, dude, there's nothing wrong with you doing you. And like, I think that's, that's a good start, you know, because there's a lot of people that, you know, are going to see that, that they're not going to have, they, there's, I guarantee, well, I can't guarantee because I'm not a mind reader, but I'm willing to bet there's a lot of people that see those kinds of memes and they have not a single fucking support in their actual life, personal life that, that doesn't ever affirm that them, that kind of thing. And they see that, I mean, it could plant a seed so to speak um i don't know that's maybe me being too optimistic but i mean i believe it you know it's happening no i i see i see stuff um i see that kind of i see the responses to to posts like that in a couple of the mental health groups that i'm in on facebook and like it really does it really does help people Good. like just knowing that you're not alone oh, yeah. that's, that's that's a big the thing most important things. A lot of people absolutely think. Um, I, uh, so this dynamic between my flame and I, um, you know, I am, well, she's a lot like me too. So, I mean, the trouble that that would typically get us into, that would be basically the closest thing to like really kind of toxic is like, I, you know, this anxiety I, I would feel, um, that, you know, I needed space. Usually the most trouble I ran into like I was, you know, I'm, I'm pretty self-aware, but sometimes, you know, like she would message me and like, I, like as soon as the anxiety I would feel instantly when she would message me was indicative of me needing space, but I'm still not really good a lot of the time at honoring that. And then I would just keep messaging her and messaging her back and back when it was the last thing I should be doing because, um, you know, I needed like, if you know, like the, the throws and uh, the joy of CPTSD. It's like, there's so many fucking symptoms that, you know, 
so many people, at least speaking for myself, I have a bad habit of like, you know, speaking for the majority. I think that's something you've even kind of affirmed to me in your own way. Like you can't always speak on behalf of everybody. I like, I don't mean to, it's just like when I say something, it's my opinion, my personal experience, and I don't always clarify that. And it's always taken. wrong. Yeah, that's okay though. You're allowed to be human, but I know, and I didn't take it wrong. I mean, I may have been kind of triggered by it, but I knew that I was like, well, she's right though. You know, like I can't even another friend of mine that I don't really talk to right now. I was in and out of like this blues project with him. He's a phenomenal guitarist. Actually. He actually makes his own guitars too. Um, he told me the same thing. He's like, dude, like a lot of us are really eager to provide the answer for other people and be right about like, you know, speaking on behalf of the majority, but you can't do that a lot of the time. So I, that's, that's been a hard lesson for me. Um, but uh, so yeah, I would have this anxiety, which was an internal signal from within be like, dude, you just need time for yourself. Don't it's okay if you don't message her back. But like, that was probably one of the hardest things I would deal with. And then I wouldn't tell her that and then it would just snowball. And then eventually, like, there was a couple of times we were talking on Skype. And I said something that, you know, triggered her. And it wasn't an intention on my behalf to trigger her at all. And it's just because of how post-trauma works, especially in her brain, just like mine in a lot of ways, um, just the, the tone in which I communicated what I said. And it wasn't even really mean at all. It wasn't like critical, but it still triggered her because that's how this shit works. It's like the brain chemistry, like there was a reaction neurologically that was instantly like manif- like manifested in her facial expression. It could be, it could be, it could be word choice. It could be a facial expression. It could be, it could be a slip in tone. It could be a, and it, it could go from I'm really certain to I'm not so certain tone for like half a second. We pick up on that shit. I know, I know I do. Absolutely. That's a great way of explaining that. Um, yes. Like that tone can really change so quick. And, you know, her, hers definitely does. And I'm very attuned emotionally, like Ricky is for you. I've been for her, my flame. But the trouble that would kind of get me into is I'd be overly observant sometimes. And in, in these situations, this happened at least three times. I mean, this is kind of a bold thing to admit. But, you know, for the maybe the sake of some of your listeners, like maybe somebody can relate to this. Because literally, like, I would do or say something that would trigger her. And then I would feel like instant fucking excruciating shame. And how toxic internalized toxic shame works. I don't even think it's technically a diagnosis like in the current DSM. But I've heard that the sixth edition that's going to be published eventually and released i think maybe this year might include cptsd and toxic shame i really don't know a lot about that but that's my hope but another one of my favorite authors john bradshaw who really popularized internalized toxic shame and what that is basically it's like it's just basically like feeling like inherently fucking flawed and defective like not good enough in anything we do think feel or say and you know that definitely makes it hard for myself to make a relationship work long term but so yeah like i would do like the way i would instantly view that in that kind of situation i'm talking about like okay i upset her i should feel fucking ashamed and i better do something to fix it right fucking now and i'm not able to do that fucking eventually like i just like it's like if i especially there were a couple times her and I were on Skype and this happened and the phone conversation was ended by me smashing my phone. That's the fucking blunt truth. And I don't have shame about that because again, like I know why. And plus she's a healthy 
person herself enough to where she knows why herself. Now, granted, it, it, you know, she knows that it wasn't my intention at all to like just, you know, like abruptly end the conversation in that fashion. She knows, you know, I mean, she's a therapist. She studied this stuff as well as has lived it herself. I mean, she's really an advocate for ayahuasca. She's really into that. And that's revealed that medicine itself has revealed a lot of things to her that is not really accessible. I think in a lot of, at least our Western culture, um, she can really, if you know, you're ever talk to her, can really elaborate a lot further on that. But anyways, like she gets it. But it didn't change the fact that, like, it was really making it hard for both of us, you know, to uh, make this work. And, you know, twice, maybe at least three or four times, like, the phone, a Skype conversation would end in a very aggressive fashion on my end where, like, I was so mad at myself because I obviously, like, brought pain upon this beautiful fucking woman. And it's my fault. I should be a fucking machine. That's just, a, you know, I don't want to say just, but it is. It's a fucking very accurate reenactment of how I was treated as a kid because everything was my fault. Would you say, would you say that it makes you put people on a pedestal? Yes, um, absolutely. That, you know, I mean, uh, well, metaphorically, like, well, I, not even metaphorically, like my flame, you know, even though I, I've said, you know, 20, 30 minutes ago, however long ago it was, we're not an exclusive couple right now, but we're still close. We still confess love and care and concern for each other. Like I actually have a few messages awaiting from her right now, but long story short, yes. And a lot like from my trauma response, from like my fawning perspective, like my traumatized internal child, that's still healing like he puts her up there like is like she's this fucking goddess that like I have to fucking, you know, be at her beck and call all the time. And I'm lucky. That a big part of the reason why her and I are still close as much as we can, be, even though like we've made an executive decision. This isn't the time for us right now, because you know, especially myself, at least like I'm still fucked up in a lot of ways and I'm doing everything I can to get through it. But, yeah, I put her on a pedestal. I put everybody on a pedestal. Well, to varying degrees, you know. Um, I mean a lot. So for the sake of the topic and, you know, some of you, anybody who's listening, like I have a hard time with fucking boundaries and how, what I mean by that is asking questions, expressing preferences and saying fucking no is really hard for me. So that's when you speak it for myself there again, but I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. Like when you have that problem, it's going to make it hard for any relation, well, especially an intimate relationship, you know? So. Yeah. I feel like um, my boundaries might be a little backwards. <laughs> I mean, like the, the whole no thing, like that, that was a thing for me. It was definitely um, an issue that I struggled with for many years, uh, especially with my first and second husband, husbands. Mm-hmm. Um, since, since then i've i've learned to to say no if it's not good for me the problem that i have now is when i get to a boundary and i'm not sure what the fuck to do with it totally like it's uh i know what you want me to say but i don't know what's appropriate for me to say because i don't know what's actually right for me to say because i might change my mind tomorrow and then what absolutely and that that's something that i know um I now know is symptomatic of my BPD. Um, it, it's a form of an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. 
because and I'm aware of my identity crises so like I guess it'll be the today today I love you today I want nothing but love today I'm happy today is calm today is beautiful today is perfect five minutes later the world is burning my walls are crumbling and you are either on this side of the wall or you're on that side of the wall either way you're going to get hurt Absolutely. <laughs> like it's I don't know what to do with that like so uh I guess my boundaries fluctuate and I like to say that I'm putting windows in my walls I'm not really breaking down my window or my walls. I'm just putting windows in there. Absolutely. So that way, so that way he can see. Because he still wants to, without... yeah. But you just need somewhat of a barrier to give yourself the necessary space. Because when you say you're not exactly sure sometimes what to do, like if I were in that situation, which I am, basically, I mean, I've even had someone that understands mental illness a lot herself told me, tell me, she's like, it sounds like you have borderline personality disorder. And um, I think even my flame, when I flew out to Arizona to see her in September last year, she mentioned something very similar to that. But my, I just, definitely. I mean, I, I have a bad habit of quote unquote self-diagnosing, but at the same time, my belief about that is like we know ourselves better than basically everybody else to two fluctuating degrees, obviously. I mean, it's a really complex thing. But if you know yourself so well and you read something that fucking validates you in a way that nothing else has, what I don't, you know, I mean. Well, I, I'm not going to lie. I do. I, I have been guilty of self-diagnosing. But here's the kicker is I self-diagnose and then I go to yes. the doctor. Yes, yes. I'm usually not yes. wrong. No, I'm not either. Thank God. I mean, if I was wrong, I'd probably go home and break something else. Fuck. I know, right? Like, what do you mean I'm fucking yeah, wrong again? Yeah, God damn. There goes that fucking TV and, you know, this electric. Yeah, like, I don't have anything left to break, guys. No. <laughs> don't tell me I'm wrong. Oh, my God. I, uh, well, actually, so when it comes to grief in my personal experience, one thing that's really helped with that is I started to make a list about two and a half, three years ago of like, I have a really good memory too. Like, well, that's one definite, I mean, it's a matter of perspective, perspective, but I, you know, having a good, a better improved memory while being, you know, sober multiple years is like, I have a good memory. And sometimes, you know, you don't want to remember a lot of things and fuck it's bitten me in the ass a lot of times, but I've handled it as well as I could, but my point is that I made a laundry list of like everything I broke and tried to give like a, a guesstimate about like what that cost and kind of tallied up, you know, the inconvenience it put on myself. We're talking about drums, you know, you know how much I love to fucking play. Thousands of dollars. You know how much I love to play that instrument and how important music is to me. And when I've deprived that of the deprived myself of that as often as I have, there's no, it's an indescribable experience. Um, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't last as long because I've stayed clean through it. If like I went out and used, I, I don't know, like dead, who knows? But um, it would have prolonged the suffering. Absolutely. Um, but, um, oh, when it like, so when I would like read that laundry list, like after, I don't know, six, maybe 12 months, give or take a little bit longer, I was finally able to like convince myself, this is fucking sad. And this is something that at least personally speaking needs to be acknowledged. And when I would read this laundry list, like, dude, that's fucking sad because you don't deserve to do that to yourself. 
And, you know, my flame, my twin flame, she's really good at marrying that, you know? It's just, that even makes it more sad because she's definitely the healthiest woman I've ever been in love with. But the fact remains that, I mean, I take responsibility for, you know, what I need to do in order to get me to the point to where, like, I don't fun as much. Like, if I get a message from my flame or anybody else I may meet in the future, like a wife, a girlfriend, whoever, and I need space, be like, hey, I love, I love you, no less, but I need space right now, and just on the topic of grief, like it's, I, I believe it's important <laughs> to have a very strong semblance of uh, self-validation and, and acknowledge like the, the, the severity of a lot of experiences and how that's benefited me. You know, when you're talking about just breaking personal belongings, like I fucking, okay. So wait, I think it's, yeah. Three laptops at least. I, one of them being a $1,100, what is it? Not an iPad, but, uh, I, not an iPod. Those are MP3 players. I'm not tech savvy, so please forgive me. I sound fucking retarded. Like an i, an Apple base MacBook, MacBook. It was $1,100 MacBook. Like I, it probably took. I, that was in the summer of 2017. So I mean, I'm over it now. But I mean, fuck. I every now and again when I think about it, I'm like, God damn, dude, that was that was that was, that was one of the nicest pieces of. Why the fuck did you I don't do know that? Why I did it? I couldn't stop myself. No, I'm saying like telling yourself like later, like why the fuck did you do that? Look what For you sheer did. Frustration, totally. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've given you know uh, somewhat of a glimpse into my relationship experience when you know even with someone as healthy as my twin flame in a lot of ways, but you know, she's. One thing I also love and adore about her is like, she's, I mean, she's excellent at taking responsibility for her own stuff too. And, you know, so when it comes to like our dynamic, you know, it's not all about me. Like when it comes like, it's not you, it's me kind of thing. Well, it's sort of how it relates to my personal experience with this particular woman is, um, you know, because of her past when I would begin to back off and especially when I wouldn't tell her, then I would tell her later, like you mentioned secrets earlier, like it, when there's, I think some discretion sometimes between you and Ricky, I think you said, and then you could still sometimes perceive it as secrets. I think is what you said. She, I, her and I both can do that as well. And you know, when I like don't tell her that I'm struggling with something and then like, I'm not really communicating with her. And then that starts to trick her. And, you know, I can't speak, a lot for her, but you know, I know her really well and I can say a lot of things that are very true, but um, it's, you know, she would obviously be well-versed um, more well-versed uh, to express her experience with that. But anyways, so yeah, I mean, like it could be perceived on her end that like I'm hiding shit from her intentionally and I'm like, and never, that's never been the case. And I, I've earned her trust in a lot of ways and I'm very thankful for that. Um, even when we were trying to make a relationship work, but you know, so I'd be going through my spiel like where I wasn't honoring my need for solitude and it would just build and build and build. And I wouldn't tell her that it was building. And eventually like she, you know, she's pretty uh, empathically, emotionally in, in tune and very observant. And if like we were actually having a Skype conversation, like she'd pick up on it. Um, and uh, then I would tell her like, well, you know, I've been going through this for either all day, a couple of days, maybe a week. And then, you know, that, that was hard on her too, because it, it challenged that trust and to an extent, never my intention, but that's, that's one, you know, 
uh, one problem we've ran to a very definitive one, obviously. And there's been some other stuff too, but I, when I flew out there, uh, end of August, the first week of September last year, I love, I love the state of Arizona. Um, the dry heat was definitely kind of a shock at first. I thought it would have been more tolerable than the humidity here. Uh, no, 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 it's not. It's not. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I, a lot of my caregiving trauma was really activated again when her and I were together in person. And like, it was so bad for like a four or five day stretch to where like, I wasn't, she had to keep reminding me like, breathe, John, breathe. You're not breathing, drink your water, you know, but then when I'm not, you know, I'm so incapacitated by my own problem, like my own, uh, post-trauma that's like really, really, really hard to work through. She could only be there as a mayor so often too, because she has to take care of herself. And like, it kind of came to a head when she was last fall, uh, late October. And it was just so bad to where, um, you know, that dynamic I just specified on a little bit, uh, kind of came to fruition and she was having a hard time too, as was I not from anything we had either done or had hurt each other, nothing like that. It was still, it's just, um, I've, I've also lived alone for almost 10 years. I've never had a roommate since I've been clean. Um, I've been mostly single for most of that time. I've been in and out of four quote unquote filled relationships, if that's the way I'd call it. But, um, it, when I say it came to a head, like I just, I lost my temper in front of her. I didn't hurt her at all. I didn't even want to, but I punched the headboard of my bed a couple of times and I haven't. Now, see, I haven't, I haven't completely lost it in front of Ricky yet. Um, yet. I do not I do not forget to acknowledge the fact that it is possible that it will be open-minded about that absolutely (laughs) um but there there was one point where we were both uh rather stressed out and I think we have a very similar reaction to emotional Mm -hmm. stress and um, my anxiety was flaring and before he and I were even becoming abrasive toward each other, um, I had already had one anxiety attack and had warded off two others. And then it got to be where he wasn't helping. He wasn't causing, he wasn't really perpetuating, but he wasn't making it better either like he was really just kind of another catalyst i guess like it was already there it was brewing and he was just there was no positive so uh i ended up having two more anxiety attacks it was a day that i had three anxiety attacks from the time i got to work at 8 30 in the morning to the time i left at 11 30 in the morning i i had to leave like between like 8 30 9 o'clock and 11 11.30, I had three full-blown anxiety attacks, another one on the way. I couldn't even leave. Like, I walked out to my van and stayed in my van. I couldn't I couldn't drive away. So, I mean, like, I couldn't leave. So, I just stayed in the parking lot at work for, like, the next two hours. But it was, it was bad. It was a bad day. It was, <laughs> it was a bad day. But he has not yet seen me break anything. Um Fortunately, he's heard stories. He's seen me yell at the dogs. He's heard me screaming. 
Well, he's heard me yell. He's heard me yell. He hasn't heard me scream. Similar to the boys. Yeah, a little bit of shock and probably, yeah. I mean, statement probably, but I don't really, I really don't know how to, um, how to describe it because I've never really asked okay. him. Maybe you'd want to tell me how I mean, it's not obviously an expectation I'm imposing at all, but just you know, I do, I do want to know, I do, uh, but right now, it's not, it's not at the forefront for either of us, I don't think, because. He's still learning my fluctuations. So, I mean, like, it's jarring for him. I know it is. One, he's said as much. And two, if it's not jarring for you, you don't actually care about me. Like, give me an end of sentence. If my emotional roller coaster is not jarring for you, you don't actually care and you can go. Like, I know that it, I know that it bothers him. Um, but whenever he's seen me yell or um, get anxious, uh, I know the one day I was there and we were having a rather intimate discussion and uh, it started, I don't, it wasn't just the conversation we were having. It was a lot of things piled on, but he started having a panic attack. Panic attack, anxiety attack, one or the other. I'm, I'm not really sure. Yeah, he was having one. And he was like, I don't understand what's going on. I went, I need you to describe what you're feeling. Okay. And he described it to me. And it was that I'm having a hard time breathing. My chest feels like there's something squeezing it and blah, blah, blah. And he's sitting there like, I don't know what to do. And he's just like, he's getting all worked up. And I was like, what you need to do is take a deep breath. I know it hurts, but that's what you need to do. And he went, I don't know, I can't. And I went, you can, you're having an anxiety attack. And he went, are you serious? This is what this feels like? And I went, yes. And he went, and you go through this every day? And I went, well, not every day, but often enough to know what you're doing. <laughs> and he went, how the fuck do you do this? And I went, I don't know, I just do. It's just kind of a thing that I have to. Out, read, know, read, drink water, smoke pot, <laughs> eat. But I mean, like, it was just kind of one of those things, like, how do you do this? And I'm like, I, I don't have a choice. Oh, yeah. That's how. Well, <laughs> you know, I I really appreciate you sharing that for me. That sounded like that was a really uh, pivotal kind of experience in you, your relationship with him. Because I mean, in terms of him actually kind of be able to empathize more, you know. I find that a lot with him. Well, that's really I'm sure it is weird. He's probably not used to it, but fuck, that's that's amazing. I mean, yeah. that's that's amazing. Um, I. Uh, I'm really glad we're, you're telling me all this. It's really inspiring a lot of things for me to say, but really, um, so, uh, <laughs> brain farts. Well, I, so you're telling me that he hasn't actually personally witnessed you kind of having an explosion, like a rageful explosion. So, I mean, I could tell you from personal experience, well, two personal experiences. One is a kid with a rageaholic father, real deep vocal cords, loses control in an instant. Like, I mean, I was used to that, and that really fed into a lot of my hypervigilant state now as an adult. Um, it's really it's really traumatizing to experience. I mean, the, to be completely honest. Well, the thing that 
So for anybody that's curious, like the thing about CPTSD and how it differs from PTSD is complex post-traumatic stress disorder derives from ongoing repeated trauma, especially with like no means of escape. So for like myself as a child, like I, I didn't have anywhere to go. Like I was, you know, I, somebody should have definitely intervened years and years and years and years ago that if they really knew like youth services or anybody else that had the authority to kind of intervene and take me away from such a terrible dynamic, you know, um, it definitely, you know, could have happened, but it didn't. And I've had a hard time accepting that, but I'm pretty much okay. I am okay with it now. But anyways, so what, you know, that I might, you know, I might get choked up talking about this and I know that's fine too, but, uh, but you know, so when I had that outburst in front of her, I, I, so I told you a little bit ago, um, I did something far less significant, but still, you know, significant in itself that triggered her. And I felt like so ashamed of that, that I would just explode and punish myself to deal with it and cope with it. I mean, this was about a hundred times worse when, you know, her having the CV, um, you know, do that because I was in so much pain and, you know, I basically was kind of like a Tasmanian devil kind of thing. And it may sound kind of silly, but like I caught, I, I had, thank God, I guess enough control is what I'll try to refer to it as. Like I tried to concentrate like the pain I was in and how I was somewhat chose, but not so much chose because like when it comes to adrenaline, like especially catecholamines, what I've learned is like, it's really affects a lot of the decision making. Um, and, that's what an impulsive behavior is is it you can watch yourself do it impulse impulsion and compulsion are pretty much the same thing on that aspect there's there's no thought behind it it just happens like see it happening but we're gonna sit there and watch it happen because we can't do anything about it that's that's what when my rage gets the better of me is I shut off and the thing is is I'm watching me do this horrible violent thing um and whether I'm actually making contact with a person or not it doesn't matter it's a horrible violent thing because it's either violence an inanimate object which injures me and breaks whatever or it's uh, another a living being um usually human but it's you watch it happen there is like you it's like a it's it's a disconnection between the body the mind and the spirit like there it's just it's i guess like a tornado a tasmanian devil would be a good way to do that like i'm in the eye of the storm but i have nothing to do with the shrapnel no i uh i i really appreciate uh, you elaborating like that about it. And I'm glad we're actually really kind of focusing a lot on how this could play a role in the subject matter, because I mean, it's really a detrimental thing and really so between, so her and I and I at the time, October, late October last year, you know, we were definitely trying to make a relationship work for like, I think at least a second, possibly a third time. And once this happened, that really changed a lot of that, which I'm sure is very, makes total sense. Um, but it was hard. I mean, to say it was hard is an understatement because like, so I was able, 
thank God, like, I forgot that she was in the room, basically. Like, I totally did. Like, all I knew is, is I was in so much fucking pain, and I felt like such a fucking burden to her that like, I started to hit the headboards. And then I had an elliptical in, like, the corner of that bedroom. I, like, jumped out of bed and fucking started slamming it in the corner. And then I went to the other corner away from her as much as possible, and I grabbed my TV and my fucking DVD, DVD VCR combo and slammed that shit and, like, fucking ripped the goddamn socket partially out of the wall. And that went, there was like shrapnel plastic everywhere. And then like I exited the bedroom that she was in. She basically collapsed to the floor at this time. And I like sprinted to my drum set, which is not the one I have now, but my second last acoustic drum set. It was a Tama Imperial Star, Caroline Blue. That was the finish it was called. It was like a really nice, like darker sky blue color. And I fucking... Just gave it a couple of slams like when Robin Williams kind of refers to it and Mrs. Dalfire is like, like, I give him a few light slams every now and again. I don't know. It just that always makes me laugh. But anyways, um, yeah, there was nothing funny about like the experience I'm talking with her and I just to try and add some humor to a very morbid subject. But anyways, after it was all, like, okay, the drum set was like the last inanimate object of like, the blunt force trauma. And then after like, I just... I, I never felt the way I did in my entire fucking life that I did until in that moment. And then I just, as soon as like I finally came back to, so to speak, and I realized actually what just happened, like, now granted, I gave you a pretty vivid detail of everything I had done, but at the same time, like, it's really hard to fucking describe. It's, it's, it's like 98% indescribable. But I went to the kitchen and I basically tried to like give her space as much as I fucking could. And, like, I just kept apologizing. Like, I am so fucking sorry, like, tearfully. And, like, I – and once she started to cry, dude, I, I never heard someone weep like that, at least in a romantic dynamic. And then you talk about the shame because I brought that upon her. Now, granted, she's taught me intention plays an integral role in, like, everything we do. I totally agree with that. And it's fucked. I didn't wake up even, like, two minutes before she came in the – let me know something that she, I think she was going to go to the gym and uh, like, I wasn't thinking anything like, Oh, if I'm triggered, I'm going to do this. Like, that's not how that fucking works. Like at all. No, I, no. Not at and all. I know you understand. That. It's a yeah. you, you trip that trigger and it's literally like dynamite. Just the, the hammer hits the casing. Like that's it's, it's think of it like shooting a gun, like trip the trigger and then it and there's this there's nothing that can stop it until it stops it's like what's that what's that uh was it newton uh, the unstoppable force who did the unstoppable force immovable object i'm not sure whenever uh an episode of rage is um triggered what how i tend to describe it is simultaneous combination between mm -hmm. the two immovable and unstoppable like it's a constant motion but you're not going anywhere it's like a vibration that's a frustrating feeling to say the fucking absolute least it's like what <laughs> but like there's no thought behind it either like it's the you're throwing shit, you're breaking shit, Get you're hitting done, stuff. Yeah, you wanna. You need 
happening. You know it's happening. And when it's done, you know it happened. You remember it happened. Yeah, I, I don't know about you, but when I come back at like at first, like you can feel the the adrenaline start to like um, deplete. Like it's it's slowly just decreasing, and then like when it's when it like hits empty, like when the fumes finally wear out or evaporate, however you want to say that, you it like gets blurry, mm-hmm. and you can't remember what it is that set you off exactly. You can't like trying to tear it apart. You start looking at it, and then once you remember, you have your emotional response whether it be tears or more anger yeah to peer through the fog of this immense disorientation yeah Yeah, it's well that yeah you i really appreciate you explaining that because i mean i know i'm like a broken record with how i responds to all of your rebuttals but it's it's true though but when i was in the kitchen and i peered through that disoriented fog finally and i kind of started i guess process what happened i just immediately i tuned to her because i knew that it freaked her the fuck out to say the least and once she started to fucking purge tearfully like she i i'm telling you i never heard anybody sob like that like especially in a romantic capacity i mean in some similar ways but anyways, yeah, i just so what i did was you know um i'm I'm really thankful that her and I are still close and then her and I have processed the shit of that experience because she's, like I said, you know, she's read about a lot of similar stuff. She's in her own way, lived it not to that extent. I don't know. She's, you know, she's had a lot of relationships experience herself. Before her and I met. Um, but you know, I, my cell phone was in the bedroom and like she was in there and I was trying to communicate with her. I'm like, okay, I'm calm now. My phone's in the room. I need to make. I need to call somebody to get help. My, but the phone's like pretty close to you. Is it okay if I come and get it? And she didn't respond because she couldn't even talk. So I, I asked her like another time. I asked her twice. And I know I'm being like super specific about this, and I know that's okay. Like I feel kind of slightly weird about it, but it's all right. I mean, it. You know. Um, but this is the reality of what happens in domestic situations all the fucking time. Yes. Yes. And, this is what yeah, it is. People. And you know, I I'm just you know I'm proud of myself that you know I realize when it comes to like taking responsibility, it's like okay, this is what I did, and I'm like fucking 100 sure this is the effect it's having on her. I mean, as much as I can understand from my own perception without being inside her mind and body, that needs to be acknowledged too. Um, I mean, I am empathic, but you know, I'm not a mind reader also. Does absolutely so far. People realize that like empaths can feel the energy. We feel it. We absorb it. We don't always know exactly where it's coming from, and sometimes it's misinterpreted because emotions are so multifaceted and vibrations. Everybody feels vibr. It's kind of like the pain receptors in our brains. Pain and pleasure, there's a fine line because what we perceive as pleasure. Oh, yeah. But the sensation itself, it hits the same receptors. Absolutely. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's well, when it comes to that specific study um, on a neurological capacity, like I want to learn more about that because I mean, I, there's a lot more to learn. But anyway, uh, not to cut us short, but I mean, like, I feel like today was I, I, I really, truly appreciate you helping me out and um, helping Jitney out by uh, special guest spotting on the podcast. I'm honored to have been thought of and asked and thankful for the opportunity to make it happen. Um, I, there's so much more to talk about this kind of stuff, but hey, you know, more will be revealed in whatever capacity. I really would like to bring you back at some point again with just me or uh, with Jitney and I both. Uh, I really, I really appreciate your um, openness with us here today. I know that some of these topics can get pretty difficult for some of us to talk about and I really appreciate your um, willingness. I appreciate you. Thankful again. And for anybody that's listened, that's kind of, Sorry, no, no discovered intended. If there's any experience, I mean, I know I don't really technically have to apologize for that, but this is some like real morbid shit to an extent. So, but yes. well, no, that's the whole point. This is it was it, we were supposed to talk about to- toxic behaviors yeah. and such. So, uh, we're going to work it on that. But uh, thanks again, and I guess guys, we'll just okay. see you next Bye-bye. Tuesday.